and here we go. Welcome. It's the Daily Objective from the Ayn Rand Center UK. Thank you for being with us either live in the Super Chat and uh, part of our community, or maybe later on the podcast uh, from around the world and around the globe. We're delighted that you're with us and already participating. Thank you, Mary Aline. Thank you, Robert, for those very generous Super Chats. It's a great way to support us in what we're doing here at the Ayn Rand Center UK. Now, in this space, you're probably used to seeing uh, you know, a real expert like Nikos, for example, uh, James Valiant, some of the superstars of uh, objectivism, if you will. Well, it's me today, it's just me, but we're gonna tackle something that I know is pretty kind of near and dear to my heart and my experience, and that is decision-making and something that I know objectivism touches on quite a bit and think about it. I mean, we all make decisions all day long about innumerable things and the consequences of those decisions, you know, can be, I mean, they're huge. They're, they're life and death and thinking and thinking about decisions is, is you know, and, and acting on them is ultimately, you know, the product of, of our thoughts, of our reasons. So I thought we'd get into it a little bit today with a quick presentation. I'm told that uh, men are visually stimulated and, uh, and women love PowerPoints. So I've got a little bit of both today um, about context and decision-making. And uh, of course, we'll take uh, grave uh, uh, seriousness, any super chats, any very generous super chats will certainly stop the show altogether, but uh, we'll get to it. Uh, here we go. Just a, a quick uh, uh, kind of disclaimer that this is not a formal objectivism. I'm not representing Ayn Rand. I'm not representing uh, objectivism. This is my own interpretation. It's my own uh, shtick, if you will. And of course, you should read uh, Dr. Peikoff, read Ayn Rand herself, and read objectivism uh, to learn about objectivism and philosophy. And in fact, what inspired this presentation today was uh, one of Dr. Peikoff's radio tie-in contests. If you go to his, his website, uh, he used to do on the radio these wonderful tie-in contests where he would put out three individual things from the newspaper or three individual events. And then the audience would have to kind of call in and say, well, what is the philosophic uh, stream running through all of these? Now, I don't think this is as good and anywhere as kind of thoughtful as Dr. Peacock's, but this is in his honor, I suppose, and hopefully inspiring to you uh, out there watching. So we're gonna talk about not three events, but three decisions. And these are three historical decisions. I know that as a business guy, uh, you know, I've followed pretty closely, but you'll, you'll be familiar with as well. One of which goes back to 1976 when a guy named Ronald Wayne sold 10% of Apple. I'm talking about 10% of the company for $800. Ronald Wayne was one of the original founders of Apple Computer along with Jobs and Wozniak. He was the older guy, the supposed adult at the table, and he... Uh, he sold, he basically invested, he was one of the first investors in the company. And then two, three weeks later, he basically got scared. Uh, he didn't think there was a future in, in computers, or at least what Jobs and Wozniak were doing. There's a lot been written about it, but um, he quickly sold his stake to uh, back, back to Wobbs, uh, Jobs and Wozniak for $800 back in 17, uh, 1976. Of course, that would be worth I don't know, 10% of Apple. Apple is a $2 trillion company. Uh, it would be worth, you know, uh, just not just a fortune, but one of the great fortunes. And Wayne is still alive today. He's written about it. He's talked about it. Uh, so he's, he's lived to see his 
a dollar investment that he didn't make grow to be worth, I mean, is it 200 plus billion? All right, another example of a decision. Bitcoin guy, this might have been reading about this. Bitcoin guy bought a pizza back in 2010. And he's saying Bitcoin guy, this is a guy. I think he lives in the Midwest. Back in 2010, Bitcoin was literally at pennies or probably even sub pennies. And he bought a pizza. And the pizza now, in terms of Bitcoin's current price, is worth $365 million. So he bought a pizza 11 years ago. That money now is worth $365 million. Uh, it's pretty unbelievable when you think about, I know how many pizzas you buy, <laughs> how many pizzas I buy in a week. Uh, it's pretty unbelievable when you think about a decision. Um, and now he's kind of living with that decision. So put that out there as well. Throw that out there in terms of our list of three decisions. I'll give you one more. AT&T, this is, as they say, ripped from today's headlines. AT&T is selling now Time Warner. Or, well, it's not Time Warner. It's called Warner Brothers. Or no, I guess it was called Warner when they uh, bought it. And now it's called just Warner. Warner Brothers. Anyway, they bought Warner in 2016. The deal actually was actually finalized in 2018 for $85 billion. Now they're selling the same assets three years later for half that much. And not even to mention the money that they invested in it. So they're selling half of it for $43 billion. So these are all really tough decisions. And I'm loving seeing some of the uh, <laughs> some of the perspective on our, our super chat uh, from people saying, uh, you know, he wanted the pizza more. Well, if he had known it would be worth 36 the, the, the thing that I see running through all of these, and certainly my experience as a professional investor is this one word I think that is very central in my study of objectivism, and that is context. Uh, you know, Context really is everything. I think Robert Nasser, who hosts a show on Radio Ragnar, made that comment on our Super Checks uh, chat earlier. And it's important because we are not omnipotent. You know, religion demands that you are, it's like either you're God or you don't know, don't know anything at all. You can't know anything at all. And the truth is we're not omnipotent. And there would have been really no, as we'll talk about, you know, well, and let me just say, and I've heard both Dr. Peekoff and Dr. Brooke, just as one example, readily admit uh, mistakes. They've been wrong on certain issues or certain topics. I remember Dr. Peikoff um, made a comment on who was the basketball player was like accused of rape or something like that. It, was, it wasn't LeBron, but it was, you know, Dr. Peikoff did a radio show and they did a follow-up a couple of weeks or months ago, uh, later and said, you know what, I was wrong in this particular issue. So we're not omniscient or omnipotent, as Christopher says. You know, we, we don't know what's gonna happen. So we make the best decisions as we, as we, as we can at the time, given our own, our own context. What's so interesting about uh, uh, Wayne's case, the Apple investor, is that even after he left, Jobs tried to get him to come back. And he, this is from Wikipedia now, Wayne resisted Jobs' attempts, attempts to get him to return. So, you know, I would say maybe he was evading, but he didn't want to be involved. That's his interest was not being involved. And Kobe, thank you, William, it was Kobe. Uh, you know, Wayne didn't want to be involved and neither his evaluation of the facts or even Jobs himself pleading with him to come back could 
persuade him of that. We make the best decisions at the time, given the information we have available. And this is the important part, I think, using our best judgment. And we'll talk about it in a sec, but like, you know, not just saying, well, you know, um, I don't know, um, short shorts are in season this year. So let me just try to sell short shorts like everyone else. I mean, using our best judgment in terms of what at least I understand Rand talking about is over the long term, thinking long term, uh, not the minute to minute by whim, but thinking long term, using our best decisions, to, uh, judgment, given the, given the uh, information that we have at the time. And to go back to the example of AT&T Time Warner, this is the announcement of 2016, you know, AT&T to acquire Time Warner, new company with complementary strengths to lead the next wave of innovation. And look, this made sense at the time. Um, you know, as they wrote, the future of video is mobile. That's certainly true. The future of mobile is video. That was certainly true in 2016. Um, you know, everything they, they wrote about AT&T is unmatched direct to customer distribution access. So, you know, the idea was right there. I mean, they, they were, you know, AT&T made it investment that they thought was a smart investment given the information they had available. And it, you know, it, it really was, you know, they said, well, we got to take on Microsoft or uh, Nets uh, Netscape. <laughs> we have to take on Netflix. We have to take on Apple. We need, thank you, Marilyn, so generous. That is going straight to the Ayn Rand Center UK and so appreciated. You're a long time serious supporter of what we're doing. And that means everything. So thank you. I'd say, I say bless you, but you know, put that in quotes. But here's the point, in 2016, it didn't look like such a terrible idea. At the time, it, it seemed plausible and many people thought it was, a, it, was a, it was a hell of a good idea. The thing that's important is that it's not written in stone like the friggin' 10 commandments. I mean, you, it's okay, I believe, it's okay to change your mind as the context changes, including your own context. This is again, my own editorialization here. This is not objectivism, but you know, here's the, the pizza guy. He says, he's actually pretty okay with it because part of why he did it was he wanted to popularize uh, Bitcoin. This is back in 2010. And he, he's, he tells the uh, Cointelegraph magazine, I think it's great that I got to be part of the early history of Bitcoin in that way. In fact, there's a day, I think it's called Bitcoin Pizza Day where they celebrate this purchase. He's now 39. This is the, this, he went on to spend 100,000 Bitcoin on pizzas alone in the summer of 2010. That's currently now worth $3.8 billion. Uh, something tells me that he has a few more Bitcoin he probably held on to. Um, and my point about changing your mind as context changes is like, okay, if he sold it at, Let's say he had a, a, a bunch at 10 cents and he sold it all at a dollar. At $2, he still had the chance to get in. At $3, you know, he at every moment had the opportunity, and we all do, to change our mind as the context changes, as our knowledge changes. And, you know, that's, that's the brilliance of reason, of thinking, and of using our sense perception, and of a free society where you can, thank you, Jeff, very, very generous. Uh, I, for one, love Canadian dollars. Don't listen to what your own Brooke says. Uh, I, I welcome them. The loony, uh, we take it just as readily, readily as everything else. So thank you for that. 
Point is you can change your mind as the context changes. The idea is it's not this religious thing that you have to make a solemn promise that I shall never do this or never do that. As the context changes um, and, and hit. So here's kind of some kind of, you know, final thoughts or at least I guess not Tommy, what's her name? Not Tommy's final thoughts, but some kind of final thoughts on this idea. This is part of what makes me so in awe of entrepreneurs is that they can make things happen. You know, they have that long-term vision that, you know, Wozniak and Jobs saw the future. What's his name who sold it, you know, to go back and work at Atari because video games were the shit at the time in 1978. And Atari was printing money. So, ah, personal computer. But that's the great miracle of the entrepreneur. And Rand has a quote that I love in Atlas Shrugged. Uh, I'm going to quote it now. She says, whether it's a symphony or a coal mine. And I love the fact that she uses, yes, Tommy Lauren. Thank you, Hugh. Uh, Hugh. This is hopefully a better closing thought than her closing thought. She says, whether it's a symphony or a coal mine. And I love the fact she, she includes symphony because it's, art, it's artistic. The point is that, I, at least on my interpretation, is that all production is artistic. Um, whether it's a symphony or a coal mine, all work is an act of creating and comes from the same source, from an inviolate capacity to see through one's own eyes, which means the capacity to perform a rational identification, which means the capacity to see, to connect, and to make what had not been seen, connected, and made before. And, you know, that's it. I mean, people were seeing the guy, the Bitcoin guy could never imagine Bitcoin at $50. And he says, you know, he could have never imagined it. Um, what's his name? You know, AT&T could have never imagined uh, Netflix becoming the dominant player in just entertainment writ large. But that's what entrepreneurs do. They make things happen. And sometimes we're on the right side of that as business people. Sometimes we're on the so-called wrong side of that. But my God, we all benefit from these geniuses seeing that big picture, you know, connecting the dots and then bringing out of those existence something brand new that's a value to us all. In my own experience, again, this is not objectivism, but as a professional investor for over 20 years, the problem is never making a bad decision, but it's evading that decision and evading the consequences of that decision. Um, you know, I, if you kind of followed me, sounds so pretentious, but if you know, if you see me on TV, you know that I have this, this adage of I never buy the dips because for me as a professional investor, you know, if I liked it at 50 and it's at 40, you know, that's a dip. Well, what's wrong with me? For me to buy more at 40 is evading, I believe that's evading reality. You know, the market's telling me I'm on the wrong track. So I don't buy the dips, but that's where I think most people go wrong. Isn't that they make a bad mistake, but that they evade it. You know, pain is nature's way of telling you that something's wrong. I think Rand writes about that at some point. So, you know, it's okay to make a bad decision. Uh, the problem is uh, evading the reality. And thank you, Christopher. This is another one throughout history. This is, the, I think, the more classic one about people with vision from Rand. Throughout history, there were men who walked down roads armed with nothing but their own vision. Exactly, that's right. And um, that's what these people do. And uh, if you can hop on board, we're all, you know, we're all the beneficiaries, but we're, you know, um, so hop on board and also be, I'm gonna say humble enough, but be, um, I don't know, uh, in, in touch with reality enough to realize when you've made a, a, a bad decision. You know, there's an old saying in the markets that losers average 
losers. So I'll just take it, take it for what it is. And ultimately act on reason. You know, we're talking about making decisions within a context, but act on reason, creative reason. You know, it doesn't just mean what are the, form, what's the formula saying? You know, you're, I think you are the biggest component of that. It's your context and it's your creativity. And what's important is that it not be driven by emotion. One of my favorite lines from Rand and from Atlas is she says, you know, if any part of your uncertainty is a conflict between your heart and your mind, follow your mind. So I have a lot of emotions when the market's going against me. I certainly have a hell of a lot of emotions. Uh, I have a lot of broken furniture and, and the smashed keyboards to de demonstrate that. But you can't, you know, as, as Rand talks about, emotions are not tools of reason. And um, that's what you need to keep in mind. A few additional resources. Uh, I mean, so much from Dr. Peikoff, all of his podcasts. I love his, his speech about what judgment requires that's available for free on, on YouTube. You know, you used to pay like 40 bucks for a, a friggin' cassette. Now it's available for free, which is great. It's great that that's a huge resource that you can avail yourself to. Also, the virtue of selfishness, which, uh, you know, this is highlighted in, and just so much more. This is, you know, beyond um, textbook, this is my favorite book by Ayn Rand, and it's life-changing to say the least. And I believe there's a lot of decision-making and compromise, et cetera, in there as well. And more than anything, become a member of the Ayn Rand Center UK. I mean, you know, they've brought you my little uh, song and dance here today, but every day they're bringing really interesting, really valuable uh, content for students of objectivism. And that's who we all are. And I'm looking at the chat and we have, you know, people who, some people who actually, it sounds like knew Ayn Rand or were involved in the movement, at least in the seventies and way back. Um, and then I, I've seen a number of kind of new faces, if you will, who are completely new to objectivism and only uh, have, uh, have picked it up in the last couple of months. So become a member of the Ayn Rand Center UK and be part of this really exciting learning movement. Hear from experts like James Valiant, Harry Binswanger with uh, HBTV, which I think is uh, very cool. I remember SCTV and HBTV sounds demonstrably more interesting uh, with all due respect to Eugene Levy. So um, you know, be part of what we're doing here. And don't forget tonight, because I mean, I love debates. I'm terrible at them, but I like watching them for people who are good at them. And um, I mean, the best debate in history in my mind is of course, Dr. Peikoff and Dr. Ribbath against the Canadian socialists in 1984. We've covered that here at the Ayn Rand Center UK, so check that out. But tonight, don't miss it, 7 p.m. UK time. I believe that is 2 p.m. Central, 3 p.m. Eastern. Yaron debates Europe. Yaron Brook is fearless. He's, I mean, I've seen him debate, I don't know, maybe 50 times in the last 20 years. He is fearless. He has heard it all. And he's taking on Zuby tonight. And the topic I think is really interesting because the topic is, the topic is um, tradition. Oh, tradition. I was thinking, What's the name of that Fiddler on the Roof song that I love so much? Tradition. Tradition. Okay, it's two o'clock Eastern, I'm told by my advisor, Christopher. And I'm also told that it is not about tradition, the song from Fiddler on the Roof. It's about the idea of tradition. And, you know, objectivism, you'd think, oh, a bunch of conservatives, uh, they're all for tradition. 
But yes, Zuby is on the side of tradition here. Zuby is supporting tradition. And Dr. Brooke, the radical capitalist, the objectivist, is against tradition. And I, I love that. You know, one thing about Rand is that so often she, um, uh, she surprises us. She surprises people. So if you think that Ayn Rand is just another conservative who wants to keep the status quo or any of that, or whatever your perspective is, don't miss your own versus Zuby tonight. And don't forget the organization that's bringing it to you, the Ayn Rand Center UK. Thank you, Stingy. Thank you, Christopher, for your Super Chat contributions. Uh, we're gonna continue this in um, Clubhouse in just a moment. And that's your chance to go mano a mile with yo. Thank you, Robert, for your uh, generous contribution and, and congratulations. Yes, this was my first solo show. You know, they always say, uh, imagine the audience naked and just staring at a black camera, so it's not really helping at all. But uh, I'm, ex I'm imagining you applauding, and that means a great deal to me. Of course, I can't see that. The next best thing is your contributions. Thank you, Bonnie. Bonnie Bertrand writes, to see with one's own eyes. And that's, that's so true as well. Great show, and that's exactly why you don't need a disclaimer, except to set the context. You, you see through your own eyes, hopefully your own rational eyes. And um, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a hell of a, thank you, Jeff. The student of objectivism, we all are, we're all learning this, so avail yourself of it. Don't let your study of objectivism be a couple of one-liners off of uh, Twitter or even the lexicon. Go back and read the source material. You know, there's, there's like, there is friggin', uh, you know, now that Rosie is in here, I've got full control of the show, but there is such gold in this material. This is Harry Binswanger from the Harry Binswanger list. You know, people don't know, Harry did a whole publica publication, bookmark, he did a whole publication in the 80s called the Objectivist Forum that was started with Miss Rand's approval. Take advantage of this. This stuff is available. Here's the Ayn Rand letter. It's available. It's not very expensive. So dig into the real objectivism. Don't believe the hype and the bullshit that you read in, in one minute on, on Twitter. You know, get the real thing. And then as Bonnie said, see it through your own eyes and make your own decisions. I mean, that was certainly my own idea. I came into objectivism with certain ideas and ran open up my eyes to things I hadn't even considered. Some things I certainly had, but um, made me a much better thinker and hopefully circling back to our, our topic today, a better decision maker. So thank you, Jeff. <laughs> thank you, Hugh. Thank you, Christopher, Robert. Thanks for being part of our community. And I'll see you now on Clubhouse, available for both Android and iPhone users to hear what you have to say about this fascinating topic. Have a great one, and we will see you momentarily on Clubhouse. Be well.